Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. Hey friends, thanks for checking out our podcast. This is our very first one, and we're just doing it over worship this last Sunday. Uh, TJ and I decided it'd be good just to put down the audio. We know a number of people who can't be there during the week would like to check it out during the week after, uh, whether you're working or just sitting. Um, So we hope to bless you through this. Um, This last Sunday, we talked about themes dealing with our relationship with the poor, our relationship with ourselves, uh, the importance of being industrious and producing things on our own. We talked uh, about Psalm 30, not Psalm, Proverbs 31, uh, the ideal woman and how industrious she is and uh, how that's reflective of the ideal human state. Talked about readings from James and the gospel uh, where we're talking about how toxic envy is and selfish ambition and uh, how the purpose of life is really to work hard and uh, to serve others. So hopefully none of that is too controversial, but I do think it's a needed corrective for what a lot of us are hearing on a daily basis. So um, if if you haven't been a part of our worship service before, don't know how we do things, you're going to hear four different readings and then my reflections on those readings um, that are hopefully entirely biblically informed and, and built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. So um, we'll we'll put other stuff on these podcasts as well, but um, for right now, we're just going to leave it like this, and um, we'll be back with episode two next week. So, uh, God bless you. Bye. As always, we're going to read from uh, the lectionary readings today. Sometimes I expand them out because they're just too short, and we need to be chewing on the meat rather than drinking milk as a community. I don't see worship as something where we're making new disciples or doing the evangelistic work. I see worship as... These are the people that have said that they want to follow Jesus, so we're going to spend this hour talking about what it means to follow Jesus together. Now, we've been reading from Proverbs the last few weeks, and Proverbs uses a lot of masculine and feminine imagery, uses the feminine for both good and bad. Last week, we heard the reading of Lady Wisdom calling out in the streets saying, follow me, listen to me. If you don't, things are going to go bad for you, and I'm going to laugh at you. She said a lot of other things, but wisdom is feminine. Uh, the, the Hebrew word I didn't tell you last week is chokmah. Um, in Greek, it's Sophia. That's where we get the word Sophia from, is wisdom. So if you've ever met a young lady named Sophia, her parents wanted her to be wise, or they just liked the sound of it. Um, if We're not reading it from it in worship, but there's another section later in Proverbs where folly, the opposite of wisdom, is also depicted as a woman. She's depicted as a harlot standing uh, in her doorway, beckoning men to come in to her and leave the path of righteousness and make bad decisions. Proverbs ends with the description of the ideal woman, not an embodiment of an ideal, but of a a woman, a real woman, and how she lives. And it's real interesting. A lot of it is uh, culturally different from today. A lot of it doesn't transfer over. But just look at the ways it describes her. There are some things that, that we won't know, like flax. Nobody looks for flax anymore. Flax was used for making linen, okay? So it's a sign of industriousness that she gathers flax. But let's hear this description of the ideal woman, the ideal godly woman in Proverbs, and see what wisdom we can't draw from this. I'd welcome our first reader forward. 
Our first reading is from Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 through 31, which you can find on page 1033 in your pew Bibles. Listen again to the word of God. A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still night, and she provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable, and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them, and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done, and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. The word of the Lord. So there's a certain modern voice that re would respond to this reading in, in a way akin to this. Oh, what a sexist reading this is. Look at it putting all this weight on the woman. She's responsible for everything. She makes her husband look good. She takes care of the kids. She takes care of the servants. She's just working, working, working all the time. She never gets a break. Look at this. This is the standard that a woman has to meet. This isn't good for women. This sets an impossible standard for women. It's bad for their self-esteem. You know what? Let's talk about what we can do for her, not what women should be doing for us. You know, this is, this is what, how typical of a patriarchal country, uh, culture, just putting their women to work, seeing them as nothing but chattel. I don't agree with that reading of this whatsoever. And part of that is because I know some very amazing women. And part of this, I... Uh, well, let me just tell you the personal part of this. When Sarah Beth and I got married, we, I gave her all kinds of leverage and latitude to do whatever she wanted. I didn't expect that she would work. I didn't expect that she would do. For all I cared, she could sit on the couch and eat bonbons, okay? But I would go to work every day, and she would sit and miss me all day. And then I would get home, and she'd be mad at me that she missed me so bad, and so she'd be mean to me. And I would say, look, if this is how you're going to be, I'm just going to go back to work. And so she realized, i got to do something different. And we were surrounded by Mormons in Idaho. And Mormons there, they, they all are into canning, okay, because they're kind of preppers. You know, if you know what a prepper is, they're preparing for the end times to come, preparing for the government to fall apart, and they're all into canning. So Sarah Beth said, well, why don't I learn how to can? And she got one of these pressure canners, pressure cookers, and started canning everything. And all of a sudden, she got into gardening. The soil was so much better in Idaho. Man, I miss Idaho. None of our plants work out up here. I don't know what's wrong with Oklahoma soil. But anyway, Sarah Beth, sorry if you're defensive about the soil, but it really is worse than Idaho soil. It really is. 
Uh, go to Idaho sometime and start everything just grows out of the ground. It's wonderful. Um, but she started a, a garden and started processing all this food. She started baking bread uh, and got amazing at baking bread. She started sewing. She started uh, just fixing all these things around the house. She was the most industrious person I've ever seen, and uh, she was happy. And either she was happy because she's been so brainwashed by a culture to believe that women are only good for something when they're working, either that, or she realized that the image of God in her is calling her to work because God works and so do we. And that's where I'm at. You know, as I hear about people working themselves to the bone, I'm going, thank God, because that's how, God, how hard God works for us. The very opening chapter of Genesis is God working, right? Doing the, all the creation by the power of his word. When Jesus was called out for healing people on the Sabbath, he said, my father is not done working, so neither am I. Okay? Only in working do we discover the nobility that we intrinsically have in life. We're all made in God's image, but we only find nobility and joy in living as God lives. God is a worker. Jesus sent, God sent Jesus, and he was a worker. Jesus commissioned his disciples, and they worked, 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 till they killed him for it. And so we are not supposed to feel sorry for people who work. We're supposed to rejoice in that. Because of the hard work of this ideal noble woman, she is able to provide for others. Does God provide for me and you? Did Jesus provide for me and you? So it's a wonderful thing to provide for other people. We don't look at people who are providing for others and go, oh, you poor dear, you have to work so much. We go, good for you. Look at what you're doing. Doesn't it feel great? Sarah Beth and I, out of nothing, made these three kids. Actually, God made them through us. We got a fourth on the way. We just keep producing them, and we're taking care of them, and they just keep getting weight, gaining weight and getting smarter, and they're happier, and they sit and worship quietly. I didn't think that was ever going to happen. It's so wonderful. They're going to grow up singing in worship. They're going to learn to praise the Lord. They're going to be good friends to you and your kids. This is something that we're doing because we know and love the Lord, and that's what he does with us, so that's what we do with others. Sarah Beth, every church we've served, we try to leave in better shape than we found it, you know? We try and improve the physical facilities. We try and improve the parsonage we live in. We try and build nice amenities, build a nice balance in the bank account. We want to make sure that because we were a part of something, it's better off than if we were not, okay? And that's a burden we bear, yes. But as Pastor Mark Driscoll is known to say, humans are creatures of burden. If you ever drive a truck, if you have an empty trailer behind it, it can easily start that, what's that called, where it starts swaying up? And that's really dangerous, right? It's only when you weigh it down that it'll drive straight and easy. And that's how humans are. We're not made to be free of all commitments, free of all responsibilities. Humans are made to bear the load of responsibility. And it's when we do that well that we discover joy in a godly way. So when we read about this perfect godly woman, we're not feeling sorry for her that she carries such a burden. We're going, I want to be like her. And there are plenty of other masculine examples in the Bible, but this is what I would consider a feminist, a female-concerned depiction in the Bible. If this was really a patriarchal culture, it wouldn't describe women at all because they don't matter. The fact that it spends this much time describing an ideal woman and what her life looks like says there is a way for all women to be godly. Because are there any things in here that no woman can do? Not really. I mean, there are some things that require money, like having linen garments, or she considers a field and buys it. But you know what? If you're working as hard as this woman, you are going to have the disposable income to purchase a field. 
Sooner or later, you will. At least in this culture. Maybe not in that culture, but, well, no, even in that culture, it's saying her husband trusts her implicitly, right? Verse 11, her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. Okay? In a patriarchal culture that doesn't value women, this would be seen as ridiculous. Why would a husband trust a woman to make her own money and purchase her own field and make her own clothing and harvest her own crops? Like, all of that would seem ridiculous. Here we have the empowerment of a woman who is equally given the responsibility of caring for others, caring for her children, caring for her husband, caring for her servants. I think we need this vision of what the ideal life looks like rather than a lot of the influencers that we find online or on TV nowadays who don't have to do anything, who are narcissistic and self-obsessed, who don't care what they're doing for others or they only pretend to care. Here it says, man, I love the way it ends here. Verse 30, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Susanna listened to that earlier this week. She said, we're supposed to worship women. I said, no, no, no. Praise doesn't always have to be worship. Praise can just be acknowledging something beautiful and laudable in someone else. And so, you know, I said this, I say this at every funeral. I said this most recently at Chuck Price's funeral. When we die, would we like people to reflect on us and go, man, they just served others and made sure everything was better because of them and built up others. Do we want people saying that about us or do we want people saying, man, he was all about himself. He was just all about selfish ambition. He was all about just, what does it do for me? You know, because that's a cultural value. A lot of people will tell you it's a good thing to be selfish, all about yourself. What the Bible will tell us, what it tells us before here and after here, what it will tell us in James today, is selfish ambition is sinful. That we're not here for ourselves. We're here for others. We're here for God. We're here to serve others. And, you know, ourselves get taken care of. Do you know that God will take care of you? Do you know that no matter what happens to you in this life, God will take care of you better than you ever could take care of yourself? Do you know this? Do you know that when you spend your life taking care of yourself, you screw it up because you're screwed up? Our lives are not meant to be directed inward at our own desires, at our own hopes and dreams. Our, our lives are meant to be directed outward towards others and towards God's desires, God's will. So we're going to find that as we make our way through the scriptures today. Um, the reason I have the church's one foundation scheduled from this is if you don't like this gender-specific interpretation that I've given you about being an empowered woman, I guess I just mansplained uh, womanhood to you. Um, if you don't like that, another interpretation of scripture is that this woman, this ideal woman, embodies the ideal for the church. The church is always female to God's masculine. We are the bride of Christ. And so as we're thinking of all these descriptions of the ideal woman, that she's always working hard, that she's humble, that she cares for others, that's really a, a portrait of what the church is supposed to be like and how we're supposed to live together. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and hear our reading from James for the day. Let's welcome Jeff up here. Good morning. Our third reading is from James chapter 3, verses 13 through chapter 4, verse 10, which begins on page 1882 in your pew Bibles. Listen again to the word of God. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility <clears throat> that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. 
For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder, every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. The word of the Lord. Thanks. It's quite a reading, right? It's pretty hardcore. Sometimes we get the feeling that our faith is easy and doesn't demand much of us, but then if you just open your Bible, you'll realize that's, that's not true. The Bible uh, instructs us in a way of life that is very rigorous, very disciplined, very difficult, you know, and that's why we gather weekly. That's why we gather midweek. That's why we are trying to be in the Bible daily and praying daily. It's if we're not doing those things, we can forget the high standard that's placed on us and think that our job is to be a part of the world and get along with everybody and just be nice. But is that what being a Christian is about, just being nice and getting along with everybody? You know, it's not. That's, that's kind of how I was raised in the church, though. Every time I asked a question that made somebody uncomfortable or I wasn't being obedient, that, that's not very nice, Jeffrey. Well, okay, that's a good way to socialize children generally for American society. But when we're talking about what it means to be a Christian, niceness really isn't part of it. Kindness is, but niceness isn't the same thing. Niceness, I think, is what it's talking about when it's saying that we cannot be friends with the world. Remember that? Uh, that was in verse 4, where it calls us adulterous people, right? That's, a, that's kind of a mean thing to call people. He was writing to a church. You know, He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Now, there are two levels on which you can read this. Did Jesus love the world? Yes, he came and died for the world, okay? So in that sense, Jesus was the best friend this world is ever going to have because he came and he made it possible for this world to be welcome in the new creation, okay? So we're not talking about that. We're talking about the kind of moral compromise when you're friends with an immoral person, okay? So I know nobody ever here has ever been in this situation, but every now and again, you might be buddies with a guy who's cheating on his wife, and your job is either to say, hey, man, we can't be friends unless you repent and you're... You say you're sorry to your wife and you immediately end this affair with this woman. Or we go, who am I to judge? Let's have a beer. You see the difference between those two? Let's think on that while the train's going by. I can't compete with the train. Or let's think about women. What's something women are often guilty of? Women 
uh, might have a, somebody that they're regularly talking trash about, a coworker, say, somebody they just don't like, and every time you see them, oh, let me just tell you about so-and-so, she is such a wreck. And then what they're asking you as a friend to do is hop on their train and go, oh, yeah, she is awful. Let's talk more about that. Can I ask, offer you a martini, girlfriend? I don't know how women talk now. But, uh, but that's not what a true friend is. A true friend is saying, hey, you're, you're clearly miserable, and you're talking trash on this woman. It's bad for you. I, I really think you should make amends with this lady, and I, I really don't think you should be talking about her this way behind her back. That's what a real friend does, okay? But that's not the friendship of the world. The friendship of the world is permissive, tolerant, by, by tolerant, I, I don't know how many of you read my regular mailings I send out. I sent out an email on Friday talking about tolerance. For most people today, tolerance means just not caring about people or issues or anything, just being indifferent. That's not what tolerance is. Tolerance is dealing with things even though they're really toxic for you and you're trying to communicate effectively, uh, but not making room for wickedness, okay? So the question here is, in our daily lives, are we making room for wickedness or not? Let me ask you just a basic question. Is this world outside of God, is it wicked or basically good? It's wicked. I know that's not socially acceptable to say, but this world outside of God's saving grace is wicked and condemned to destruction. And we're going back out to that world, and that world is going to try and compromise us. And if we aren't prepared for it, we're going to give in, and we're going to try and be friends. Because who here loves having friends? I love having friends. I, I guess this is an unfriendly side over here, but... I love having friends. I love, I love when it gets back to me that somebody's talking about me and, oh, I was talking about you, Pastor Jeffrey, and so-and-so just loves you. He thinks he's a great guy. And I've got that human part of me that's like, oh, I'm so glad people love me, you know? Because once upon a time, nobody liked me. I just had to marry a pretty woman and now everybody likes me. I don't know what that's about. But um, that was a joke too. I know there's a lot more to Sarah Beth than her looks. But yeah, I've been unliked by many people before. And there's a lot of people that don't like me still in it. It's not nice. I don't like not being liked. You know, you read this and you're like, so I'm supposed to be antisocial now? I'm supposed to just upset everyone everywhere I go? And that's kind of an extreme direction to respond to. And I would say, no, not really. But I would say they killed Jesus for a reason. And it's not because he got along with everybody. A guy who gets along with everybody doesn't end up on a cross, all right? And when we're following Jesus, we're following him on the same path, all right? So it is unrealistic to think that we're going to follow Jesus and everybody's still going to like us, all right? And it's perfectly natural to want to be liked, but it's also perfectly evil because it'll take you to places that'll separate you from Jesus. Every interaction you have with the world is an interaction where your faith is on the line. And you either stand by Jesus and take a hard line, or you give in and make a compromise day after day, and you may or may not come back. Read a really heartbreaking article. No, I'm not going to talk about that. Um, this reading is, what I really wanted to focus on today is the envy thing. Okay, anybody remember what the 10th commandment is? Susanna, do you remember what the 10th commandment is? Holler it out for everybody. You shall not covet. Okay, and then tell us what that means. Do you remember? That we are. Okay, in case you didn't hear that, I should have thought to have Joseph bring the microphone over. That we are content, not envying anyone, nor resenting what God has given them or us. 
That's the 10th commandment. That was one of the things that was so big, it, it fit into those 10 initial commandments that God gave us in the covenant. Envy is something that's evil. And it builds up resentment in the heart, and it's toxic, and it turns us into envious, nasty people. And it's worth talking about because a lot of our politics are based on envy today. It's a lot of the water that we swim in, okay? Now, let me ask you, let me see who's got a, no, I don't want to put anyone on the spot. We had an incident this week. There was a lady who went to a, a big party that um, cost $30,000 to get into. How many of us have $30,000 $30, to throw around at a party? She went to this party, and on the back of her dress, she wrote, tax the rich, okay? And when she was asked about it later, she had many different things to say. One of them was, oh, I'm not rich. There's people with billions and billions of dollars. They're rich. Let me ask you all, if you had $30,000 to throw at just going to a party, do you think you would be rich? You know the answer. Yes, rich people have $30,000. Let me ask you this, though. Let me see. What about if you have a roof over your head, you're not scared about where your next meal is going to come from, you have plenty of clothing, uh, and uh, you live in the freest society the world has ever seen. Ha are you rich then? Yes. Oh, y'all answered that one even better. That's funny. <laughs> That's so weird. Because, okay, so here's the game a lot of people play, though. They go, oh, I'm not rich. I'm not one of the rich. So-and-so uh, has so much more money than me. Oh, look at them. Look at their house. Oh, look at the car that they're driving. Oh, look that they went to this party. Everybody does that. Everybody does that. Even the rich, 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 they, there's always someone richer unless you're Je uh, Bezos, Jeff Bezos, right? But the, when the Bible's talking about the rich, it's not talking about the one guy at the top. It's talking about the people who have a roof over their heads, are not scared about where their next meal is going to come from, and everything's provided for. I'm already over. Otherwise, I would call on you. We are all rich. We're all the rich. And yes, there are people who are richer than us. But when we read the Bible, if we're identifying with the poor... We're not really. I mean, some of us are richer than others. Some of us have more privilege than others, and that's fine. I mean, that's true. And uh, has anyone ever heard the term noblesse oblige? A couple of us have. It's a French term, I think. Yeah, it's definitely French. There is a, a responsibility that comes with having privilege, okay? It means if you've been given privilege, if you have resources, then you are morally obligated to care for other people. But it changes completely, completely when the politics become not... Let's make room for people to use their freedom wisely, but people are not using their freedom the way that I think they should, so let's take it from them. Let's take their money, spend it the way we think. Let's take their privilege and give it to other people. Anytime that humans have tried to do that, inside or outside of America, it's caused more misery than anything. The only way to provide absolute equality between people is to drag everybody to the bottom. Who's excited to do that? Do we all just want to just tear everybody down? Because that's what envy does. What's that Russian joke? Uh, in the, area, the era of the, the communist Russia, there were two farmers next to each other. One had two cows, the other had one. The one with uh, one cow found a genie, and he said, I will give you one wish. Anything you want, what do you want? The guy could have asked for one more cow to be even with his, his far, farmer uh, uh, competitor. He could have asked for 100 cows to just blow them out of the water. He said... I want you to kill one of my neighbor's cows. It's a joke. It didn't really happen. There's no such thing as genies. But the joke is that communist Russia was more informed by envy and covetousness than it was at a sense of mutual uh, survival. Has anyone ever heard the, uh, the saying, a rising tide floats all ships? Doesn't matter if you're a big ship or a small ship, 
whenever a society as a whole decides it's going to flourish together and not be envious, everybody gets richer. And when you look at the metrics of everything up until a year and a half ago, yes, there were still people who were very, uh, who didn't have a lot in our country, but everybody was in improving monetarily in our country. Everyone across the West, when you look at wealth creation in our society, more wealth has been created over the last 150 years than all of history has ever seen, could have possibly comprehended. But we all feel poor because we're comparing ourselves to people who have more, and that is spiritually toxic. I talked a lot, I put a lot in there. The thing I want us coming away from is my envy of others separates me from God. Because our lives are supposed to be lived thankfully. How many here know you're blessed by God? If you don't know it, you need to read your Bible more. You need to read some world history more. You need to read about other parts of the world more. We are so blessed here. And yet, how many of us day to day spend our time wishing we had more, wishing we had something different, wishing we had something else, wishing we had a life like somebody else? If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, uns unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. If we envy, we're always going to be justified anything we want to do, any kind of evil that we carry. Regardless of how you vote, I want to make sure that your way of being in the world, all Christians' way of being in the world, is not envious, not covetous, not materialistic, but thankful. Thankful for what God has given us. Thankful that we live here and now thankful that we have a wonderful church to belong to and a wonderful society to minister to. Even if we're not healthy, even if we don't have a huge amount of income, there are more blessings than we can possibly count. Amen? Okay, what we're going to do, I'm going to go ahead and do the gospel reading. It's short. We're going to be thinking about envy. And then we're going to close singing Rock of Ages. Do I have your permission, church? Okay, that's why you pay me the big bucks. I got to make these decisions, y'all. I'm not, I, y'all pay me well. I, I shouldn't have made a joke out of that. Thank you for that. Um, okay, so we're looking at the gospel reading. We are in the gospel of Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 37. You can find it on page 1572 in your pew Bibles. Listen again to the word of God. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. So where does the, the selfish ambition, the envy thing come in? It comes in in this conversation. The apostles, the, the 12 were having when Jesus wasn't listening. What was the argument they were having? 
which of us is the greatest? Oh, I think I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. Before I came in, I was a tax collector. I had all this wealth. I'm the reason we're investing Jesus' money so well on the road. No, I think I'm the greatest. I was the, one, the first one who called the Messiah. And, uh, you know, I'm smarter than all you guys put together. No, I'm the greatest. I'm the best-looking one, and I always know where, what houses we can stay in and, and who we can rely on. They're, I don't know. I'm just imagining things they would have said. And, and Jesus... He doesn't shame them. He doesn't say, oh, you shouldn't even be wondering who the, who the greatest is. He says, there's a way you can tell who the greatest is. You want to know who the greatest is? It's who's last and servant of all. Think of that hymn in Philippians. It, it talks about Jesus, who, though he was God, took on flesh and became a servant, took the form of a slave, and suffered to the point of death. And because he was so humbled, God lifted him up, and he now sits at the right hand of God. There's a portrait that the Bible paints. We just had it in James. I didn't preach on it. It was at the very end. Jesus talks about it. It's all in the Old Testament. The clear theme is that God reverses our earthly estate in the kingdom. Jesus gives a sermon on the plain. He says, blessed are you if you're poor. Blessed are you if you're hungry. Blessed are you if you're mourning. Blessed are you if people talk badly about you because at the judgment, God will reverse your circumstances and he will reward your suffering. But he says, woe to you if you're rich. Woe to you if you don't have any suffering in your life. Woe to you if you're happy and laughing. Woe to you if you have plenty of food. Woe to you if everybody loves you because God will put you down from your highest state. If that's a state of things, then our lives are not meant to be lived climbing the ladder, doing the rat race of this world, trying to make all the money we can, make all the friends we can, get all the power we can, build our little miniature kingdoms. Our lives are meant to be lived serving God and suffering for his name's sake. Remember that when Peter and John were apprehended and arrested and punished for following Jesus, they were whipped to the point of having their, their flesh stripped off them, but they were set loose, and all the way home they were rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Can you imagine rejoicing that you'd been whipped silly and feeling closer to Jesus because of your suffering? So many of us, when we enter a time of suffering in our lives, we stay away from the church because we don't feel close to God. But the reality is in our suffering, we become closer to God because Jesus suffered, did he not? Jesus knows our suffering, does he not? So life is not meant, you know, in the, in the social media age, a lot of people get on Instagram and everybody's taking pictures of, oh, how happy they are and all the stuff they have. Presenting, Susanna, quit distracting Brad. Hey, she doesn't even, she's already blocked me out. She doesn't even hear her dad's voice. We got five more minutes, just chill out, okay? Thank you. We're not supposed to be pretending that everything's hunky-dory and avoiding all the bad. Rather, we are to boldly, calmly, maturely lead lives of suffering and service for others, trusting that God is on the other side of that and rewards every tear, every drop of sweat, every drop of blood we shed for his sake and for the sake of others. Otherwise, we're going to be slaves to status and comfort in this world, and then we're lost. I've said a lot of words today, and I've talked loud and a lot. I just want to make sure, have I provided a clear portrait of how the world is calling us to live versus how Jesus calls us to live? I, you know, there's a way of just over-preaching, and I sure am sorry if I've done that. 
But I want us to see these themes. As you open your Bible, I want you to see these themes that God is equipping you to suffer and then be with him in eternal glory. And so when suffering comes, at the very beginning of James, do you remember how that started? We're going to end on this. When trials of any kind come, consider it nothing but joy. Because suffering or temptation produces perseverance. And let perseverance come to its full effect so that you can be perfect and mature and complete in everything and equipped for every good work. Brothers and sisters, we've been drafted into a holy army. God is victorious. He is marching on this world. And one day Christ will show up again and we're going to be on his side. So for right now, there's a battle to be won. We're going to go out into the world. It's going to try and compromise us. Let's be prayerful people. Let's be holy people. Let's be trees planted firmly by the water. Do not be moved. Amen.